Welcome to Popcorn and Soda, starring Talal, a motion picture podcast, movies, pop culture, interviews, and reviews. Popcorn and Soda is brought to you by ByTalal.com. Visit at ByTalal and at Popcorn and Soda Podcast on Instagram. Download and stream on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on all your podcast listening platforms. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a wonderful day today. My name is Talal, and you are listening to the Popcorn and Soda Podcast, the show where we discuss all things movies, pop culture, and so much more. I want to thank each and every one of you for making me a small part of your day. On today's show, we are joined by a very special guest. He is one of the finest cinematographers in the film industry today. The credits to his name, such as Ophelia and Measure of a Man. His next work, The Luminaries, which stars Eve Hewson, Eva Green and Himesh Patel will begin airing on Stars on February 14th. On the show today, the very talented Mr. Denson Baker. How are you, Denson? I'm very well, Talal. Happy to be here. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. How have the last 12 months been for you? We're living in such a crazy world right now, and especially being a creative artist as yourself, how have you been hanging in there? Yeah, well, it's certainly been an interesting time and it wasn't how I'd planned to be spending uh, 12 months of my life. But it, I've actually, in reflection, really actually benefited from it quite a bit. There's been a lot less shooting, but a lot more just finding inspiration and just getting a bit more time to do other things as an artist. I mean, less time on set, but a lot more just exploring other people's works and really reflecting on my own style and my own uh, vision of where I see myself going in the future. So I feel like I've, I've used the time productively and I'm just starting to ramp back up again and there's a whole bunch of productions that are all kicking in. So I feel like uh, it's uh, it's about to change. Yeah, I, I bet. And it's so interesting that you bring that up because so many creative artists that I've had the pleasure of speaking to over the last four or five months is I get the same rough answer that you just gave where it's we're so used to always being on the go or trying to do our next shot or set up our next shot that we sometimes forget to internalize things and do self-reflection. So I think it's so great that we actually get a chance to sit back Mm. and be like, all right, let's see what else is out there rather than what we're just putting out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you shoot anything during COVID and did you have any experiences during all of that? Yeah. So I, the timing was interesting. I just finished shooting a uh, a TV series in Rome. It was a uh, a, a big uh, ancient Roman epic series. And uh, so we were literally just wrapping up. In fact, one of our actors just bizarrely became ill in a way which we couldn't quite work out what it was and no one really understood. And this was in uh, uh, December of last year. And it wasn't until four or five weeks later that COVID actually became a word that we'd even heard of. And um, and we later discovered that's what our actor had in Rome back at that point. Um, but it, it meant that I'd finished a job and the work that I had planned got pushed back. It's all starting up now, but uh, didn't really do much shooting. I did get to do uh, post-production on that series. Uh, most of it done remotely, grading the the, uh, the episodes. They were all edited, edited remotely. Um, so it was an interesting approach for me. I hadn't really worked that way before, but the post house sent over a calibrated monitor and I was able to watch quite high resolution versions. They, we, we sort of back and forth for a while until we made sure I was seeing exactly what the colorist was seeing. And then once we had all the technical issues out of the way, I was able to 
preview and communicate to her how um, things were coming and changes that we wanted to do. And, and it actually became quite an interesting process. And I had to learn new ways of uh, creatively expressing what I want to do purely just in email or just screen right. screenshots and drawing shapes, which was, which was interesting. And it's good. That's sort of learned a new skill set. But um, that was the, the only um, real big bit of uh, production that I did during that time. I still managed to squeeze in a couple of fashion film shoots and uh, did a bunch of stills photography. Um, got to test some new lighting that uh, Roto Light sent over some of the new LEDs that, that were just, cu- just coming out when uh, lockdown started. So they, didn't, they weren't getting them out on any production. So they sent some of those over to me and I set them up in my apartment and got to do some nice testing and play with uh, what they were capable of. Um, mostly it was just people in the house that I'd get to be able to get to model for me <laughs> or do some self-portraits, but yeah, but it was, it, that was, a, that was a really nice thing to do. It's one of those things, right? We just have to be so adaptive of what's going on. Yeah. But then other than that, I've just, I've been getting to catch up on watching a lot of stuff. So what have you been watching? What's, um, mm. what's a couple of shows or a couple of movies that stick out that you watched over the last year? Yeah. Oh, so many. I've <laughs> finally really actually been able to catch up on stuff that I kind of, I, I missed uh, that week at film school and had never caught up and seen. Um, I've also been reading a few um, autobiographies by filmmakers. So I'd always catch up on and rewatching a few of those. I just, I just uh, finished reading Oliver Stone's um, autobiography, which came out just before Christmas. I think like that was. And um, so I was looking back at his earliest stuff from um uh, Salvador and Platoon and just he- hearing the stories and then watching the films was was great I mean it's that's it's an opportunity I don't often find myself having enough time to do that kind of thing so I felt like I got to have another um another chapter of film school recently too well hey there you go at least some good came out of this right mm, yeah <laughs> one thing I find so interesting and fascinating is your story and especially how you got started in the entire creative arts so let's rewind the clock a little where does this all begin? And what were some of your early influences that made you want to be in the creative arts? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, um, like, I had a, I've had a passion for movies since I was a kid. I mean, I, I would, we had a cinema down the road. I was, I was born in New Zealand and we had a, a cinema just uh, like 100 metres down the road that my grandfather would take me to or my dad would take me to movies even before I was young enough to really know what I was watching but I just felt like that was such a part of my upbringing and it was you know this was it was all mainly Hollywood blockbusters that I was uh, getting to see there but um, it just that was just such a big thing for me and I think the the biggest influence early in my life that sort of put me on the trajectory was actually uh, my my dad uh, had traveled a lot of the world quite young in the 70s and he had um this uh, photo album of uh, photography to the, that he'd taken in in India and parts all parts of Asia and all over Europe that um, he'd captured of him and him and my mum when they just sort of they just after they got married and it um, it was just such a great thing to flick through these and he he wasn't a professional photographer but it, for me it was just a way of journeying into these stories looking at these images that he had taken and then that led to him then getting a subscription to um, National Geographic magazine which I felt was the same thing as looking at my father's photos I was looking at a little captured moment and just reading these stories into it and feeling like I was getting to travel the world through these pictures and, and I think that started to influence me on just that's you know that's what I want to do I want to travel the world creating pictures and taking people on similar journeys and I uh, went to art school um, in Western Australia and I, uh, I wanted to be a director at that point so I went to an art school which offered um, uh, the whole aspects of it was a um, 
media design it was called, but we started in art history and we did painting and sculpting and typography and graphic design. But then that then worked on to by third year, you were a filmmaker. And I started out wanting to be a director, but I just, I was one of the few students who knew how to use a light meter and had been taking photos and using video for for so long that I really knew my way around the technical aspects to the point that I was really feeling like I could push the the medium creatively and I just started getting asked to shoot every other student's uh, film that they were directing and I uh, just sort of I realized that was the directing I really wanted to do was the the visual storytelling I guess creating atmosphere and creating worlds and finding you know frames and ways to uh, with lighting, creating a uh, an atmosphere and taking an audience into into places that either they didn't go to or that uh, didn't exist, and uh, that became my my passion. I mean, I went to the Australian Film Television Radio School shortly after that, but um, that was a process too. I, I went out and started uh, working on um, short films and then TV series as a camera assistant, and so I got a got a good taste of from being a video split operator. It was my first job on a feature film to eventually pulling focus on TV shows. And I, I realized enough that I knew how to do the job, but I wasn't great at the job. In fact, I, I've always felt more anxiety being a camera assistant than I ever have as a, as a DP. I felt like there was less, uh, there was a different kind of pressure. And so it was, it's been, being a DP has been my, my real passion and push for, for the greater part of my life, I guess. Yeah, but I, I started out doing, um, uh, yeah, doing smaller, commercials and it was just getting opportunities that opened up to having me eventually get to do the next thing and I mean that I think that's really the thing is just setting your goals and and knowing what the next step in that trajectory is and knowing that you can't just leap straight to being a DP of a major motion picture that there is a there's a process to get there and if you create those opportunities then then the next opportunity opens it might be a director you've done a really low budget music video ends up being the person who gets the first uh, feature film that you get offered so that's that's kind of how it's played out for me yeah that's that's definitely interesting because it kind of snowballs i feel like for a lot of creative artists where it's like one thing leads to another and did you find when you were first starting off you know going through film school and we all have these visions and these goals of what we want our careers to be did you find that it kind of followed a a linear trajectory where you had one thing in plan and you kind of thought that the next goal or the next project would be this then followed by that but did it kind of pinball back and forth where you're doing one thing, which then all of a sudden led to another thing, which was nothing like what you thought would be the next step? Yeah. Yeah. More, more like the latter version there for me. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think I would, I would say my first break, I mean, I had, I've had a few really good ones. One of them actually would probably be, I had been camera assisting for a long time and it, it was just one of those moments where uh, something happens and a door opens. Um, this was one where I was working with a, a German cinematographer who I really admired and was learning a lot of stuff from him. And we were doing this uh, commercial. It was nothing of any great note. I was, I mean, in terms of uh, who it was for or anything, but um, I was his camera assistant and, uh, and you know, helping him in a, on a whole not, bunch of levels, not just pulling focus. But we had this accident on set and the guy who was presenting the um, uh, to camera had a piece of heavy machinery uh, malfunction and it went and pierced through his shoe into his foot like and he was it was straight and we we're shooting out in the, the countryside in these beautiful I mean, we we're going for like a Terence Malick days of heaven kind of look of uh, photography and um, there was like big heavy um, farm machinery that that did this uh, created this accident and so they had to rush this guy to hospital and 
and uh, and Uli, uh, the the DP, he was quite badly affected by seeing this incident, and he just said, "I'm not shooting anymore. I'm I'm sitting this out." And the um, uh, the agency people came over and said, "Well, we've still got to do the final shot. It's the product shot." Uli says that you're you know pretty good cinematography yourself. Do you mind taking over and finishing this off? Which I was like, okay, well, this is an opportunity, not the best circumstances to to fall into it. And uh, I was also a little bit shaken myself, but I bet that was I'm now a, a, a DP on a on a you know job. Yeah, and so then I uh, finished off the the shoot and uh, got my first shot in a for a showreel, I guess, for professional commercials. And and then from then on, I felt okay, I can now call myself a director of photography. And more opportunities arose then. Um, I had another circumstance when I was uh, still at film school as a starting to be a, a director of photography, and that was the great thing about the Australian Film Television Radio School is once you're in you had already chosen what strand you were. You went in as a, as a DP. And um, so you considered yourself a DP throughout it. And um, yeah, I was at the end of my second year there and I got a, uh, an email forwarded to me from a German production company looking for an Australian DP to shoot part of an international project, which they wanted to have technology communicating to all different parts of the world. And they asked me to shoot this uh, Australian portion of it. In fact, they didn't ask me. They just were looking for DPs, and I sent my showreel, which I just cut together that uh, that day. Actually, when I got the email, so I put it straight. And this is this was before um, you know you could upload it. Um, that wasn't even really a thing. So this is this was a short a while ago. Um, so I had to send a tape, uh, FedEx a tape to Germany straight away, and got it to these guys and got the job. And then meeting those that whole team, they came over to Australia and we shot this piece and we got along really well. And then they invited me over to to Europe to start shooting commercials with these guys. And just another door opened and I just saw a whole another variety of opportunities uh, present themselves to me. But even at that point, I was I like commercials are great. And I just was finally getting some really good jobs that were paying a lot of you know, some good money. But it was drama that I really wanted to pursue. So I just knew that I had to... Uh, you know, find openings in that direction. So I came back to Australia, even though I was getting offered more and more work over in Germany, but um, came back to Australia and started doing um, uh, short films with students who I'd graduated with or just other directors that I was getting to meet. And those, uh, it was uh, one of those short films that I, uh, I did, which was actually not necessarily the greatest of the short films that I did. It was a whole lot of fun, but the director on that, Steve Pazwalski, he um, just, he landed his uh, first feature very shortly after that and asked me to be a cinematographer which um, generally producers and, and studios don't necessarily want to have a first-time director and a first-time DP on a feature but they saw that we had a great relationship and I'd just done a, a project which had won an award and they thought well let's give these guys a, a go as a team and um, and then then it was on right. once you've got that first feature as long as it's not a total disaster then hopefully the next one comes and budgets get bigger and went from there absolutely and Mm. so in your own words what would you say is a cinematographer and what role does a cinematographer play on set yeah well it's interesting because i found like it's taken a while for me to see that it is more than just the textbook definition which is a you know i as a director of photography you're creating the the visual style you're choosing lenses uh, often composing frames and directing the lighting It'd be a whole team that I'm working with as a the 
the gaffer or chief lighting technician who's actually setting up those lights and doing the technical aspects of that. You'd often have camera operators who still offer up um, frames and still are all very experienced people around you. So a lot of it is also just bringing the best out of the team that you have with you and and just the you know being that filter of ideas or and just finding what's the, the best answer for every solution. But it really does start very early on with the from reading a script and starting to visualize it within my own mind, having those conversations with the director bouncing ideas back and forth and then they turn into storyboards and then that turns into a, a list of, well, this is the gear that we're going to need. And then I've got to go to a producer and say, this is what we want. And then they'll say that we can't afford it. What, what else can we do? And it becomes this back and forth until we arrive at this place where we're there on set with the actors ready to go. And that's the, that's the thing that I also learned probably more so out on the job than I did ever at film school is that um, as a cinematographer, you're also part of capturing that performance or even just assisting that performance in happening and, and sometimes help to help that performance be the best that it can be is actually taking a step back and not getting too involved or pushing things technically too much for an actor. You've got to give them the space when they need it and create an, a, an environment where they feel that they are um, you know, supported and feel very open and free Comfortable to, enough exactly, to, yeah. Yeah, to, mm-hmm. to give what they've got to give. But then also there's going to be those times where we're doing a very technical shot and I need to be in a position where I feel like I can walk up to an actor and say, or through the director, obviously, but, you know, this one's just that little bit more technical and we want to try something a little bit special or it's a little, you know, thing we're doing with the speed of the camera or the lens or a remote head or, you know, on a, a um, you know, motion control or whatever it is, we might need to have some uh, an extra bit of work. So there's that feeling of uh, involvement as a collaboration with, you know, everyone across it. But when it comes when it comes down to what photography, it really is that that visual style that's capturing what a production designer puts in front of the camera. I'm, I'm directing that camera to capture what's there, find those angles, and create the lighting, atmosphere, and storytelling visually. As you mentioned, it's such a collaborative medium where everyone's got a role to play. It's like a little jigsaw piece where your job is also, you know, in being in coordination with the director, with the producers, and vice versa to really get the best performance that you can really get out of whatever we're shooting. Now, one thing I know you're probably not going to admit, because you're probably just way too humble to, but you're such a master at capturing light in your shots. And that's the one thing, just looking at your reel and just your past projects, that it just stands out to me because being a crazy cinema fan myself, your shots are like paintings, man. It's like things you want hung up on your room or it's just you watch them and you're like, it's just visual eye candy. What's your <laughs> background, especially with light? Why is it so important to get the perfect lighting for the perfect shot? Oh, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that. And that's often something that I really strive for because I do feel like with every production you do, you want to have some of those iconic frames. Absolutely, that when yeah. someone's left the cinema or when they, someone says, what was that movie or show like, then those, there's those images that you know, come to mind and, and stick in there. And, and hopefully they do put them on, people will put them on the wall. But a lot of that is 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 light, and I find that um, it's a really interesting thing because I do a lot of uh, um, I've done a number of productions where we would shoot with two cameras or would have a stills photographer on set, and often that light you know will look absolutely beautiful from one particular angle, and that's often what you're lighting it for. But it's just not going to work if the stills photographer is coming in from a the, another place. So a lot of it is really just building it around the frame. And I mean, I've got little things that I really love uh, where I like to put a light and the quality of that light, whether it's soft and particularly like to always light from the the 
off-camera side of a face, so it's shooting into the moodier shadow side of a face, through to just finding that, which I, every production I'll always insist that we get to do some camera tests and makeup and costume tests where we, we get some time with the cast. And uh, I mean, if I'm working with an actor who I've seen on screen many times before or can find some of their work, you can always look at what other DPs have done to photograph them, but you'll find that there's always those certain angles where they just really ping and look great and if you find that light and you can bring out a cheekbone and bring out the sculptural qualities of an interface then that, that's when a that's when a shot really pops I guess so that's that's part of my my job too is to, to find that with a, with an actor early on so then when you're in there you like some of the times uh, when a director and actors are talking through some blocking of a scene and where we're going to put the camera you know some of the things I'm looking for and thinking of is where's the sources of light where is, there's the window we can get some nice soft light in there or a hard shaft of light there or where are the candles or the lamps and then have a little bit of say into some where that blocking can go so that we can create that those opportunities for that that quality of light to happen something else is, which is which is so important is that early discussions early on when like when you're starting to look at those locations and looking at what the scene is within the script it's just knowing what time of day is going to work really well for for what scene and just pleading your case hopefully you've got a first ad who's really open to scheduling to have that great shot which you want to have at dusk or you can be there early in the morning for that great light and that you're not out in there in the middle of the day when the sun's at a toppy uh, harsh angle that you can you know there's all that uh, you know manipulating uh, the schedule so you're in the right place at the right time which doesn't always happen and that becomes an, a very a big challenge too when you you got to do that important close-up on the the star and you've only got you, that's the only time of day you can do it and it's just not going to look great then you got to find all the different ways to control the light and turn it into something else being a massive movie fan as yourself on the topic of shots what are your some of your favorite shots in either tv or movie that just vividly stick out into your mind anytime someone mentions photography yeah so many i wouldn't even know where to start i mean i've got there's so many <laughs> dps whose work i absolutely love and all particular films of theirs and i mean i, I don't know where i'd start listing them off but um i mean i, I love a, a great silhouette and, and an iconic shot uh, and i mean the, the thing about a silhouette is it because it, it becomes quite graphic and you've got films that are literally graphic novels put on screen where they will go for a very graphic shot to then other films i mean everyone loves roger deakins and he does it you know, better than anyone but just that real when you've just got that great image and you're seeing the shapes and the people are separated from the background and they pop out from the screen and you've got this this graphic painterly image as, as you described um that's it for me but um i mean i wouldn't even know where to start um plucking them from but i mean when i was a film school it was um like i i, can't, I felt like i was kind of more influenced by a lot of the um it was interesting because i grew up with your know, star wars back to the future Indiana Jones loved all those films but then as I went through um, uh, film school I sort of found myself attracted more to European cinema and particularly where, where it was soft light and uh, and painterly frames and then I find myself sort of seeing things that are somewhere in between that are the big screen epic but then influenced by the painterly look I mean we just just when talking about silhouettes and graphic frames like um, Conrad Hall immediately comes to mind for me and Road to Perdition as like immediately just there was there's frame there's frames in that that which are just coming to mind so i think the first film that really influenced me in a big way was probably um 
uh, City of Lost Children. I don't know if you know this film, which Darius Conji shot um, and with Jean-Pierre Jeunet, like that has got so much atmosphere. And for, for me, that was like, I mean, I, I, it happened to me seeing a lot of films, but for me, that was just seeing a world that was unlike anywhere I'd been or known, but it just felt so like you were there, just such great color and texture. And, uh, and I just love that. And, and that's the beauty of it, right? Mm. It's like, once you see that image, it just sticks with you. I'm sure we've all seen so many just bad movies where the plot maybe doesn't stick with you, but some of the imagery just stays with you. And you know what? There's always some wins you can take out of every project. And as long as a viewer can notice what someone's trying to do, because I don't think anyone goes into a film or a production trying to do their worst job or their bad job or anything like that. Sometimes just circumstances and the way things come out in editing might not be what you first envisioned. But as long as there's something that someone can take away from it, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's transition over into your next project, The Luminaries, which begins to air on Stars on February 14th. For the audience listening, the synopsis is as follows. The Luminaries is an adventure mystery set in the midst of New Zealand's 1860 gold rush period as men and women travel from the world to make their fortune. So Denson, what was your experience like shooting this project and how excited are you for its debut on Stars? Well, I was very, I mean, I, I really love the the material. It's it's come from an absolutely brilliant book um, from first hearing of the project described and when, when we first, in fact, when we first arrived in New Zealand to start um, pre-production on it, the, the scripts were still very much under development. And it was one which is, I mean, if, if any of your listeners have read the book, it's very, um, very dense and there's a lot of incredible storytelling in there and it, there's all these interconnected characters and the characters cross over through their links to the planets and to the star signs and and it's um it's very beautifully crafted as a book and, and we knew straight away it's going to be a massive challenge to to bring to the screen um in in six one-hour episodes but it is actually a really interesting um world as well like it is a time period which we've seen many times before it's set in the 1860s but to see it uh in new zealand uh isn't as common and it's also in a time in new zealand when it was this really um cosmopolitan intercontinental crossing over of people coming from all over the world and that's and that's what made it really fascinating and they're all bringing their own fashion and their own passions and their their, all their all their those passions are intersecting and um it just it made it cool. It was like this place on the bottom end of the earth that not a lot of people knew about at that time where there's all these fascinating people coming together. And, so much and, diversity in terms of just, as you mentioned, fashion, the way people are, backgrounds. It's definitely mm. really cool with that, yeah. And we really wanted to reflect that in the the visual as well. We wanted it to feel uh, contemporary for its time, that it was like on the cutting edge of the 1860s, but we also wanted it to feel like it wasn't a dusty, musty period project for us watching it now that it still felt like it had such energy and and passion and in it and there was various different ways that we wanted to to bring that in there but there was just being in this part of the world with this incredible landscape and these great opportunities for cinematography is why it was so exciting to me we're on this coastline which there's i mean it's just some of the most beautiful rugged black sand and jutting cliffs and and massive waves crashing into the into the side of this uh, amazing islands down uh, in the bottom of the Pacific. So we really wanted to capture that feel of it. There's shipwrecks, there's, uh, you know, so much atmosphere and, um, and texture in that world that it uh, was something that I just had so much fun 
I'm just putting that into a painterly frame. And that was something which I did talk about my team is I wanted certain moments that felt like a, a just a really classic painting, but just had a little bit of a modern touch to it. The costume designs were brilliant. The production design was great. Just so much text, texture and color. Um, we didn't want it to feel uh, uh, dusty brown, which you can easily go when doing a period film. We wanted to have some vibrancy, but still have it feel real and lived in. And something which everyone got on board with was that we didn't want it to feel like the costumes had just come off the rack, just been made and, and you know, which so often happens when you're doing um, period shows. We wanted to feel like these people have lived in these clothes and they've been in the mud and they've, they, they only, they only wash them once a week, if not less, and they only wash themselves once a week because there's no running hot water. So it felt like a really, we wanted to feel like a really lived in grimy, but still sexy world. Yeah, so true because it's such a rich and vibrant world that still has the contrast of you feeling like you were there at the time. And again, that's a big credit to you and the entire team. What would you say is the biggest challenge of shooting a period piece versus something that is set more so in a contemporary setting? Yeah, I think the very first number one challenge, and I'm, I'm experiencing, experiencing this right now because I'm doing another period uh, project, is that you don't just uh, you know walk out down the street and you've got a location that's ready to shoot. There's that's just it's just not going to happen. There's there's power lines, there's curbs, there's speed hump stuff that didn't exist back then. I mean, people have renovated properties, even the um, the uh, you know historic homes don't look like they do anymore they've invariably painted the walls white or and put you know power sockets all over the walls and put fluoro tubes up there so that becomes the big challenge is not um how we're going to shoot this but what can what are we going to have to build to shoot or what's the what can we see at this location that still looks like it's of the time and what can we, what do we take out how much road can we cover and so it really does become a challenge of, uh, of building the world within the frame and I think that's that's something which I really enjoy as well enjoy, but it's also a big challenge. Is that you're creating a world that only exists within a rectangle, and there's always other stuff going on outside there. So you <laughs> the challenge is to just put as much of it into there and give it some depth, and to you know throw as much in there, and then hopefully you you get a sense as an audience member when you're watching it that there is a whole lot more world out there that there's other stuff going on behind you and the sound designer helps you with helps the audience feel that they're feeling like there's all this other activity going in there but i'll do that same with the frame you don't want to just show everything that you've got in one shot you might just crop it so you're feeling like there's there's a few people there but there's going to be more people outside the frame there's the back of a horse there so there's there's going to be more horse and hopefully more horses there's going to be much more to it than what's necessarily there and the other thing that's interesting and challenging with a period film, and this is what I've really started to really enjoy with the period projects that I've done, is that there's, um, a, well, I feel like there's a somewhat of a bit of, uh, you know, you, you've got to honour some uh, historical accuracy there on many levels. I mean, for for, for most people watching the luminaries, they're, they're not going to have really know they're not going to right. know what it was like at that time or what was um you know what that looked like or what was available to these people so you know that's it's up to it's our responsibility to to show them without you know there's a little bit of flexibility there creatively but you want it to feel authentic because this might be the yeah, this, stay true to the dna of what it yeah, actually was it might the be the only opportunity yeah. for some audience members to even reflect and think historically back to that time so you don't want to go too far off and and make it false so i mean the first thing i start looking at is uh when did electricity come to this place that we're shooting in or is it just candles and oil lamps and flame and you know what what else what were the street lights like just starting to look at how 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 lit a uh, a um a world these people exist within 
which becomes a really tricky one because uh, it would have been really dark uh, in New Zealand at those times. There's the, they didn't really, I mean, it wasn't a major city, so it didn't have uh, big street lights and only some of them had gas. It was, it was all candles and oil lamps and moonlight. So that becomes your, your lighting palette and, and creating that. Yeah, well, using those, those as your sources of light. So that's an interesting challenge. For sure. It's got such a great cast. You got Eve Hewson, Ava Green, Hamish Patel. How much easier does your job become when you have such great actors just on set? Yeah, uh, I, I think that is everything. I mean, that that's who really like an audience isn't looking at all oh, nice lighting and nice painterly frames. They are watching these characters and they've got to go on that journey with them. They've got to love them, hate them. They've got to feel something about them and they've got to you know relate and go on the journey with these, these actors. And when they're incredible right. actors and actors who look great on the screen and have a really great screen presence and really create those, those uh, bring those characters to life. That just, you know, my job is such a, a pleasure then. Yeah. And I, and I love it. And, and I loved working with that, those, those casts and they all, they all had their ideas and they all had the little things they wanted to bring to the characters. So this is the other thing you want to do is that there needs to be memorable moments or there needs to be little character traits that you don't necessarily make a big deal of, but you want to, put them in there and so as I start to hear the conversations of what they're bringing to the characters I want to make sure that we we see that and that we capture that or, we, or if I can find a way to make a bigger thing of it then then uh, I will. This is one question that I ask any DP cinematographer any creative artist who works behind the camera anytime I get a chance to speak to them and I'm really curious about your answer to this when you're shooting in your case you've had the chance to shoot so many amazing stars Daisy Ridley Naomi Watts the cast I just mentioned here Donald Sutherland do you know that you're shooting something special as you're actually shooting or is it just you're so locked into capturing the shot that it's hard to kind of transcend or really get a feeling for what exactly you're shooting. Can you tell that, hey, I'm watching a very special performance? Yeah, yeah, that, but often like it's not a thing that I'm always, it's in the forefront of my mind or I'm con- conscious of, but because I operate the camera myself generally. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be there being the first audience of the of a, of a scene of, uh, often. And there's certainly been those moments where it just hits me that, wow well this is a really amazing moment and an incredible performance and oh, there's many times where i get emotional and i feel hopefully what's the same emotion the audience is feeling at that same time or i just look in the the viewfinder and think wow this is oh, this looks just like the movie i'd like to be sitting in a cinema watching and enjoying and it only becomes that when it all comes to life because you often walk onto a set and the, you see the edges of the paint and the set uh, you know brackets and apple boxes and sandbags but when you look through that frame and you see it come to life the magic can really happen sometimes and i really appreciate it. and there's something which i never like that sometimes i mean you'd probably get asked it too do you get to a point where you you know so much about how films are made that you just don't get to enjoy them anymore but not for me i mean i that if i mean unless it's not a great film and you start to notice things that are like all and pulls you out of it but I still want to be able to go and even if it's something that I shot, I still want to watch it and feel like I'm experiencing it and, and enjoying it like a, an audience for the first time. Very interesting you brought that up because as deeper as I get into this, speaking to other creative artists and my love of film, it's sometimes when you peek behind the curtain that the magic is, I don't want to say it's lost, but when you get to see that it's say it's just Denson Baker is a human being. He is just like, you know, you and I, and uh, he, he helped make this project come to life. 
And sometimes it loses the magic. And it's I'm so happy that you mentioned that you rewatch your stuff. There's a lot of people I've spoken to that do not watch any of their stuff just either because they're too self-critical or they're like, oh, I wish I did this instead of that. Can you confidently just sit back, watch your stuff and just, you know what, this is what I put out there. Or does the human and the creative artist in you be like, oh, I should have shot this that way. I should have maybe the lighting's a little off. Uh, how does that go for you? Yeah, well, what going to a, a screening of something that I like a, to the premiere is a, an emotional roller coaster because it will be moments of you being of me being so absorbed in it that I'm just loving it to then the moment where a shot comes up where I cringe or remember something terrible that happened that day or I remember <laughs> that I wanted to do something different and just didn't have the time or I wish I had done something differently and that hopefully those moments pass and the interesting thing is sitting with an audience and, and just feeling their reactions and knowing that they're getting a sense that they're not noticing that little bit that I'm upset about. <laughs> they're looking at something else and they're loving it. And then, right. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I also very occasionally, I mean, I'm married to a director um, and my wife, Claire, she doesn't, and she directed the luminaries, uh, um, but she doesn't always uh, like to watch back anything that she's done. Interestingly, <laughs> but me, I, I enjoy it. Some sort of like six sense or something where you can just, put yourself away from the project and just enjoy it for what it well, is? Well, somewhat. I mean, I, th I think she she feels it's torture, whereas for me, I, I, I can feel like, <laughs> I, I also feel like it's a learning experience as well. And I think watching, watching things many years after you've done them, you start to see new stuff and appreciate things that you did. And there's often, sometimes, in fact, it happens to me a few times where I've been in a in a bar and I've seen that there's a TV up in the corner and something comes up on the screen and I think, oh, that looks pretty good. And I'm looking at it, like, that actually looks pretty familiar. And it, then it occurs to me, oh, I shot that. And, it, and, it, then, and it, it all comes back to me. It's like, I completely forgot that I, I did that and I actually really quite like it. I like, I like what I did there. And, and you forget how you did it or, or what happened and, and it, memories come back. I mean, I, th I think we're actually it's actually quite a, an, an interesting um, thing to be able to have. For, for me, every project I've done is like a, it's like a chapter in my um, autobiography, not that I'm writing one, but it's like, it's like, this is, this is a little chapter in my life. And it's quite nice to revisit those sometimes. And, uh, and, and you, for me, all the memories come back of everything else that was happening around me at that time that that uh, project was made. On the last topic of cinematography and filming, I'm really curious, is there a story or two that to stick out to your mind from any of your shoots? I know you had mentioned one at the very start, but Let's talk about maybe a bit more of a, a positive one rather than, you know, someone being injured, sadly. Uh, is there something that pops in your mind or that you will stick with or you'll always have that memory of filming? Yeah, well, the one that immediately pops into my mind uh, when you mentioned that, I, I can still remember. And I've, there's only been like two moments, I think, where I've been operating the camera and I just feel this whole wave of emotion coming to me <laughs> and like the my eyepiece fogs up and I can't see what I'm doing. There was one particular <laughs> time which I remember, and it's, I mean, it, it was the scene that it was, it was for a film called Oranges and Sunshine. It was with a, a UK director that um, Jim Loach, uh, we shot in both the UK and in Australia. It was a, it was a co-production. But we did this one scene with Hugo Weaving, who like I'd already known from The Matrix and from Lord of the Rings and, and knew him as this awesome movie star but he was just the most down to earth and lovely guy and was everyone's friend and took the crew out for drinks after um, him and Emily Watson sh shouted us all drinks after one particular big day as well at the end of a week and just absolutely down to earth people but I remember this one shot that uh, one scene that we did with with Hugo where he just all the emotion comes out for his character it was the biggest uh, emotional moment in the in the whole show and when he just 
starts to hold back this emotion. I could see it in his performance, and but for me, I, I could feel it welling up inside myself, and which which was amazing. I mean, that's what you want your audience to feel, and that's when I was oh, that's when I was feeling like, okay, what I'm feeling right now, that's what the audience is going to feel. But it's also one of those moments. Is like I'm also the camera operator, and I can't mess this up. Like I got to keep the shot uh, framed up, and yeah, the responsibility of capturing this for guys like me and for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And the the eyepiece did completely fog up. I couldn't even see where he was. And I just like, okay, just keep the camera where it is. Open my other eye. So I'm sort of split between feeling emotional, but also like being professional and uh, and um, responsible. And so I just kept the frame where it needed to be. And if he moved a little bit, I just moved the camera and just uh, just and then when it was edited together, it just if the shot was brilliant and great and they used that that particular take and i just it stuck with me forever just feeling like uh and and when talking to the rest of the crew some of them that were outside in the corridor they said they were having the same feelings they could just feel the emotion coming from hugo into into all of us and and it just it, it's, it's beautiful having moments like that you know, I'll just hope that we just continue to have those moments because that's what filmmaking is. So making us feel and making us feel like, you know, when we were kids watching something for the first time. So you mentioned something like Star Wars, Back to the Future. To me, it's like Harry Potter. It's just stuff like that that made me feel. That's just the beauty of filmmaking, in my opinion. As you wrap up here with Mr. Denton Baker, it is now time for a segment I like to call the final act. Mr. Baker, we give you 60 seconds and 15 rapid fire questions about your likes, your dislikes. If you go over the 60 seconds, it's all good. We just want the first thing that pops into your mind. Are you up for the challenge? Okay, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit nervous. I'm not, just, I feel more nervous than I do uh, shooting a film, but go on. Don't worry, you, you got this. It's, uh, we'll go through it. I'm sure you'll do great. All right. The final act. 60 seconds, 15 questions. Can you beat the clock? Your time starts now. Movies or TV shows? Movies. Theater or watch at home? Theater, if there's not too many people in the audience. Last movie you watched at a theater? Oh, cannot even remember. So long ago. (laughs) It was a year ago. What was that a year ago? Uh, Like The Gentleman or like... Harley Quinn or something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember. Hmm. Hey, all good. What's one sequel better than the original? Yeah, I mean, Empire Strikes Back, I'd have to say, but the original still absolutely phenomenal. That's usually the default answer. Yeah. Am I cheating? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you off the hook for this one. The next one. What's the best trilogy of all time not named Star Wars or The Godfather? Back to the Future. All right. Ties into our next question. Should Hollywood reboot Back to the Future? Absolutely not. <laughs> Another default answer. Uh, I mean, favorite... they could probably come up with a clever way to do it, but yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Favorite horror movie? Oh, nothing's coming to mind. Uh, although I did watch The Thing again recently and really enjoyed it. Let's say The Thing. All right, The Thing. Summer or fall? Definitely fall. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Uh, occasionally. All right, so we're gonna have to edit that out. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones? That's Game of Thrones for me. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Absolutely Lord of the Rings, but I still really appreciate Harry Potter. All right. What was the first camera you ever bought? Ever bought? Uh, it was a, well, a stills camera. I bought a little Minolta 35 mil camera, which be black and white in it. Loved it. Right on, right on. Favorite camera to shoot on? 
the Ari Alexa and all the different versions of it. Right on. Film or digital? Uh, I'm a digital guy now. Yeah, but I'm so glad I started in film. Yeah, yeah. absolutely got right me down on. the right path. But yeah, digital all the way now. Digital. And lastly, describe the luminaries in one word. One word? <laughs> Ooh. Now that is tough. Uh, illuminating. All right, illuminating. There we go. Bam. <laughs> we got through the 15 questions, slightly over the 60 seconds, but hey, we got your honest opinions and answers. Denson, where can we find you online? Uh, you can go to densonbaker.com. Perfect. Densonbaker.com. You can see all the yeah. social media on there. Denson, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. And thank you for your contributions to the creative arts, man. I, for one, am looking so forward to the luminaries and all your future projects. I wish you all the best and I look forward to having you back on the show to discuss the next one. Absolute pleasure. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for new episodes streaming weekly. Follow the show at Popcorn and Soda Podcast on Instagram to keep up with movie news and behind-the-scenes exclusives. We'll see you next time at the movie. Ahem, on the show.